0: Welcome back to the as a woman podcast this week i'm talking about premature ovarian insufficiency also known as premature ovarian failure early menopause premature menopause whatever you want to call it this is when you run out of eggs early. What you should know about this medical condition. Before we dive in, I want to give a huge thank you to all of you for being here and supporting this podcast over the years. We do have a few updates if you haven't listened in a while. One is that Fertility in the News, which used to be a weekly segment, has now been taken to the newsletter, so you can subscribe, nataliecrawfordmd.com newsletter. You will get weekly updates, some of my favorites, recipes fertility Q&A, and my take on your top and latest news stories. So go ahead and check that out. Also, at every episode, we answer your fertility-related questions. These questions can be asked on Instagram on Mondays at Natalie Crawford MD. Ask your question there. They will be answered here each week, on Instagram on Monday, and in the weekly newsletter. And we do have special fertility Q&A episodes where if you have a burning question you really want answered, please call and ask it, 657-229-3672. These are my favorite episodes, recording and answering your questions, so I'd love to do more of them in the future, but you gotta call and ask. Premature ovarian insufficiency, or POI, is the official term for what used to be known as premature ovarian failure. The reason why we have changed it is because The ovaries are a little more dynamic and not quite as absolute as we have learned and I will go over. But in short, this diagnosis means going into menopause or being out of eggs, so loss of normal ovarian function before the age of 40. Approximately 1% of women will have this condition and it is very common to happen if you're under age 30, only 0.1% of women under age 30 will have POI. It is characterized, so typically diagnosed, number one with amenorrhea, meaning absence of periods. So the clue is that you no longer are having a period. You may also have low estrogen signs, which can be fatigue, headache, insomnia, vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and the longer it goes on, the worse those signs may be. There is something called primary and secondary, and just to understand the difference, primary POI or primary ovarian insufficiency is when somebody has never had a period. Their ovaries failed before they ever got to that final stage of having menses. Now remember, the ovaries do have multiple functions, so they also get people through puberty. So when the brain kicks on and starts sending out FSH and LH, that is the start of puberty. So if we walk this back for a minute, your ovary has all the eggs it's ever going to have stored inside of it the moment you're born. Every single month, even when you are a baby inside your mom, a group of eggs is released from the vault in the ovary. There's not a real vault, but this analogy just helps you picture it. You have tiny eggs inside of a vault. A group of eggs comes out of the vault and can be seen on ultrasound. These are considered follicles. There's one egg inside each follicle. When there's more eggs in the vault, more follicles come out. And this is why we lose the fastest rate of eggs when we're actually fetuses inside our pregnant mom. Wild. Because at that point, and even early in your childhood, before you start puberty, a group of eggs comes out of the vault each egg in a follicle. There is no FSH because you've not started puberty yet. What this means is that no egg matures, no estrogen is made, all the eggs die, and another month, another group comes out. So nothing is happening, right? You're a child, you haven't gone through puberty. Puberty is the start of having the brain turn on and send out FSH and LH. Really, it's GnRH from the hypothalamus that then stimulates the pituitary gland, but let's just call puberty the brain turning on. This process starts allowing the ovary to have eggs growing and starts to allow you to make sex hormones. This is why we see the normal progression in puberty with some sexual hair. So you have pubic hair and axillary hair. You'll see thalarchy or breast budding, and that's from the initial estrogen exposure from the ovaries. However, it is not a strong enough signal to get an egg to maturity for ovulation until your period comes. And that's why typically once you see a female child that has budding, period will usually start on average about two years later. So that is when now the ovary is mature enough. It's seen enough estrogen exposure. The egg can now get to ovulation and the brain now can send out that LH surge and allow you to ovulate and then make progesterone and then have your first period. So you really have a couple years of estrogen priming in the early puberty before your period begins. And this is really helpful. This is when you develop your height. This is good for your bones. This is when your breasts develop. And so this initial estrogen priming phase is really important. And then you'll start your periods eventually. And then that is a sign most of us really truly associate with puberty. But interestingly, a lot of our height as females has already been achieved by the time you start your period. So that estrogen priming and that ovaries working is good. Now you can go into primary ovarian failure and insufficiency any time in here. Your ovaries might fail before your brain ever turns on and then you would have no puberty. So you would actually present with an evaluation of I've not started puberty. I don't have breast development, any of these things. You might get through partway through puberty, but then never have a period. So you might have sexual maturation, but never have menses. Or you might and more likely have some periods and then it stops later. And that's considered... Secondary ovarian insufficiency or ovarian failure. So primary before you ever have a period, secondary after you have some periods or at least one, and then primary may actually be no puberty or you might go through puberty. The vast majority of primary causes are genetic, something genetically wrong, genetic syndromes, genetic issues, and the ovary create the vast majority of primary. And then secondary could be genetic, but it could be some other things also. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E slash A-A-W and to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash AAW. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. it's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click Get Started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up, and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Now, when we look at this, one issue we have, and this is all going to focus on secondary premature ovarian insufficiency. So from here on out, that's what I'm going to be talking about. The diagnosis often gets muddied, right? We already know that people who have hormonal imbalance or issues or any complaints that relate to their reproductive system or hormones or periods often do not get taken seriously. And some of these initial symptoms can be mild, like insomnia, fatigue, headaches, not feeling well, feeling dry. So some of those things don't really present themselves as very alarming and they may go on for a while before somebody finds out. Another thing that's complicating, and I have had patients like this, somebody maybe has normal periods, they have some period irregularity, which potentially could be a warning sign for POI, but they're young, they then start birth control pills. And so suddenly they start birth control pills, that helps their periods, they have estrogen from the pill, so they feel good. Suddenly they stop the pill in order to try to get pregnant, and now there's no more periods, and they're in ovarian failure. The pill did not cause the problem here, just for clarification, right? The problem was going to happen no matter what. The pill is giving estrogen so the brain doesn't send out FSH. But remember, that doesn't change what is happening in the ovaries. Just like before puberty, you didn't have FSH, you were still losing eggs. So these people were still on a pathway to egg loss. They just didn't know and they didn't have any of the symptoms because the pill was giving them estrogen, which is good. Estrogen is important and there are some long-term secondary outcomes if you do not have Estrogen exposure. So, having POI and then not being treated with estrogen can definitely have long term consequences such as cardiovascular, neurocognitive, and skeletal. So, increased risk for osteoporosis, for heart disease, heart attacks, and for dementia or Alzheimer's disease. So, estrogen is really, really important for the entire female body. All right. So, how do you officially diagnose POI? The official diagnosis is going to be two separate blood draws four weeks apart that show an FSH of high than 25 specifically paired with an estrogen that is low. So if you have a low estrogen and a high FSH, that means your brain, your pituitary gland is sending out so much FSH and the ovaries, what makes estrogen are not doing anything. They are not listening. They are in failure or they are no longer working. The reason why the name has been changed from premature ovarian failure to premature ovarian insufficiency is that we do know that some people who have POI actually can have random spontaneous ovarian function, randomly can ovulate, and probably anybody who's a fertility doctor has a patient who may fall into this category. Now, this is confusing. It doesn't mean I can give you FSH to get your ovaries to grow. All the stimulation that I do always relies on the brain sending out FSH. And if your brain's already sending out high FSH levels and the ovary is not adequately responding, then all of my tricks are not going to work, nor are my monitoring techniques like checking LH because your OPKs are going to be really high because your LH is going to naturally rise as well. So You might have a random ovulation, and if you're having unprotected sex, you might get pregnant. We do see this in some people who get put on hormone replacement therapy, namely estrogen. That estrogen they're taking because they need it for their bones, their brain, their heart, suddenly now decreases some FSH, and sometimes that can allow an escape ovulation and a potential pregnancy. So I've even had a patient who had POI, used donor eggs, had a baby, was on HRT, and then randomly got pregnant with her own child. It can definitely happen. It's just not common. So you might find yourself at this place where we can no longer stimulate you, can't do IVF, can't do IUI, can't do egg freezing, can't try to time anything, but potentially you could still get pregnant. And because of that random escape ovulation, if you're under age 40, this name has been changed to premature ovarian insufficiency. Ovaries don't make enough estrogen to keep you healthy. It's not good for you to not have estrogen, but it's not a true 100% failure. Now that's different if you're over age 40 just because of natural loss of ovaries too. It is a lot less likely to have a random ovulation as you are older. So if you now have developed amenorrhea, your doctor checks your labs Maybe you have an ultrasound that doesn't show any follicles, your FSH is elevated, and now you have this diagnosis of POI. First thing we're going to start doing is trying to figure out why, like what could be going on. This now evaluation I will also do in very young patients with a very low AMH. Essentially, they're on the pathway to POI and something that's highly abnormal for their age. First thing we're going to do is check a karyotype. Karyotype is counting your chromosome number to see if there's a chromosomal abnormality that could contribute. One top cause is something called Turner syndrome. Turner syndrome is only having one X chromosome. So your chromosomes would be 45X instead of 46XX. You're missing an entire X. Now you can also be what's considered a Turner mosaic and that could be two different cell lines. So sometimes Turner mosaics have a little bit more mild of a presentation and it's not diagnosed as early as true Turner syndrome. But classic Turner syndrome, if you only have one X chromosome, does have some phenotypic changes as well, meaning how you look. You can notice some appearance things. Some of the classic things are being shorter, having a webbed or a wider neck, having short. Fourth and fifth bones, like in your hands, having a shield-like chest, kind of broad and rounded, having these wide carrying angle elbows, so your arms kind of expand, like abnormal joints. Your ears are a little bit lower. Your hairline is a little bit different. And this is the most common genetic cause of POI, and most of them, especially Turner's, diagnosed before you ever have menarche or start period. Mosaics might go in and have secondary POI, but most cases of 45X are actually going to be primary. Now, you can also see some other interesting genetic syndromes, things that can cause hearing loss, dwarfism, other types of autosomal recessive diseases, or things that even are carried on the X chromosome. Another common one is Fragile X. So Fragile X is where you have an expanded repeat sequence on the X chromosome that makes everything downstream unreadable. And this gets bigger with every generation. So fragile X can lead to premature ovarian insufficiency in females. It can also cause something called fragile X ataxia syndrome, which happens when you're older, a movement disorder. But there's no signs. So you as a person find out you have no X left, might find out you're also a fragile X carrier and you had no idea because it gets worse with every generation. And that's typically the first sign for females. Now in males, because they only have one X chromosome, it's a little bit different. So if you are a fragile X carrier, one thing you'll get counseled on is that if you have male children that only inherit obviously one X, if they get the X that has the repeat sequence, they don't have that extra X chromosome to buffer. And now They might develop something called Fragile X Mental Retardation Syndrome, which I know is not well named, but essentially it's developmental delay due to this X chromosome repeat. And we don't really know exactly who's going to get it or not. So your genetic counselors will try to give you a percentage based on the size of your repeat, but because it will expand in every generation, that's an estimate. And so you can do IVF and do genetic testing to select embryos that don't have that X chromosome with the repeat sequence. Other things that can cause premature ovarian insufficiency are autoimmune diseases. So there's definitely a whole spectrum to autoimmunity that I honestly think the medical community is just starting to reach the tip of the iceberg. But two that we know can also impact the ovaries are adrenal autoimmunity and thyroid autoimmunity. So if you have adrenal insufficiency, your body has antibodies to your adrenal glands. Your adrenal glands make tons of hormones that are essential for living. But if you have adrenal insufficiency, you can have skin hyperpigmentation, so darkening. You may get something called orthostatic hypotension. You stand up and your blood pressure drops and you pass out a lot or you feel dizzy. You might crave salt because you're not able to maintain that salt balance in your blood. You also may have some anorexia. You may get abdominal pain. You may have loss of some of your sexual hair. And then in thyroid disease, this is much more common, but autoimmune thyroid disease can cause a goiter, so a swelling in the throat where the thyroid gland is and nodules. You can have heart abnormalities, increase and decrease heart rate. You can have bulging eyes. You can gain weight or lose weight because thyroid disease autoimmunity can go either way. So it can be overactive or underactive, and you'll have different signs based on what is happening. And if you go to the GYN with these complaints, I can often tell if somebody has not had very much estrogen because their vagina is going to be really atrophic, meaning it doesn't have the same elasticity because those vaginal epithelial cells really do need estrogen to maintain what we consider normal. And then when they become atrophic, it is dry, painful, you can get areas that are very fragile and it can ultimately lead to scarring as well and then we have ovarian insufficiency from another source so this can be typically from exposure so classic is chemotherapy so chemotherapy use can destroy some of these follicle cells and so we see we'll use breast cancer for example that after standard treatment for breast cancer 20% of people will be in ovarian failure now the others that are not often still take a huge hit to their egg count and still may go into POI earlier and this is due to this exposure This is why we stress fertility preservation and egg freezing or embryo freezing for patients who have a breast cancer or other cancer diagnosis who are going to need chemotherapy. Similarly, radiation, surgery, removing cysts from the ovaries all the time, like multiple surgeries for endometriosis that can destroy ovarian tissue too and can result in loss of functionality. And then there's concern for environmental toxins and evidence in the lab in animal-based studies that these environmental toxins are impacting our egg count. And honestly, I think environment has a lot to do with this and there's still a lot that we have to learn. And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential, and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take, and I know that I am getting high-quality and traceable ingredients in clean and bioavailable forms. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. It is really important to understand that none of these diagnoses will change the outcome, okay? And the vast majority of the time, all of these are fine and we're left with idiopathic, we don't really know why karyotype is normal. You don't have fragile X. You don't have proven autoimmune disease. You haven't been exposed to chemo or radiation. That doesn't change. We can't undo what has been done, but it is helpful if you have, let's use thyroid disease, for example, that we treat your thyroid disease so that otherwise you don't have other health consequences due to this. And again, some patients can't ovulate with POI and the chance of Having a pregnancy, if you ovulate, is about 5%. So it's not very high, but it's not zero. And that's how we counsel people. And you don't have a higher risk of having pregnancy complications because of POI, unless your primary diagnosis of why you have POI could contribute. So a good example is Turner syndrome. Turner syndrome has some extreme risks in pregnancy that make it dangerous. Even if you did have your own eggs, specifically risks of your aorta, dissecting essentially having a rupture of your aorta so that sounds pretty terrible and that's just due to part of the nature of the disease but presuming that the reason why you have poi does not hold any other risks you don't have any other risks as well and potentially may be able to get pregnant. Now you come to my office and I'm going to tell you donor egg is the treatment of infertility for POI. It has proven to be successful in the vast majority of people and it is what is typically going to work because we can't rely on you having a random ovulation. If you're young or you're okay if pregnancy doesn't happen right this moment, then you can wait and see what happens. But if you're really ready to be pregnant, we've got to talk about donor egg or donor embryo very openly. Now just because you have POI, again, the uterus can still function. The uterus responds to hormones. So in people who've had their ovaries taken out, they're in menopause, ovarian failure, whatever, I can give you estrogen. The lining of the uterus will grow. We can start progesterone. We can replicate what should happen and you should be able to have an uneventful pregnancy. Now, careful counseling is really important. Number one, This is a huge diagnosis, especially the younger you are, hearing that you won't be able to have genetic children, most likely, hearing that you're in ovarian insufficiency or failure, hearing that you need hormone replacement. This has been documented, and obviously it makes sense to cause a large amount of stress. And so we need to make sure, one, you have a therapist and counseling. Two, we need to give you estrogen. Low estrogen, again, predisposing factor for heart attacks, predisposing factor for osteoporosis, also harmful for your mental health, also harmful for future issues with dementia, future issues with your eyes, decreasing your vision. And so HRT, even though we can get like this bad reputation, is essential. This is medical treatment for a medical disease. You need estrogen. There are different ways to give estrogen. And when I was treating patients with this, you know, you can give it in patches, you can give it in pills, you can give it transdermally like through your skin if you have a uterus and you take estrogen you must take at least some progesterone it could be every month every other month or every three months but you have to have some because unopposed estrogen does contribute to a risk of endometrial cancer so we don't want to jump from the fire to the frying pan right so can't have unopposed estrogen if you have a uterus now if your uterus was taken out or you don't have one then You can have unopposed estrogen and that is fine. So for almost everybody, we need to get you back on estrogen with some progesterone. Sometimes birth control pills do this because if you're younger, that just may be socially easier for you as we get older. Or if you prefer, you might tolerate different types of estrogens better. So we try to figure out what's going to be the best. We like to get you on the lowest level of estrogen that makes you feel good and that is replacing you in the way that you need to. So we should continue estrogen-based hormones up to age 50 at least, which is the natural age of menopause. Complicating factor here is what do we do with people who have a history of breast or ovarian cancer or if you carry a cancer-causing gene? And this will likely be a nuanced discussion with your team. It's not quite that easy because you have one problem but you have another problem. So a lot of times people will still put you on estrogen but a very low dose and something that will not increase ultimately your overall risk. But you might choose to be on nothing because of your cancer carrying risk and ultimately making an educated decision is what is the most important. The last thing I do want to circle back on is that sometimes you can run out of your gametes based on an infectious disease. These have been almost unheard of in the developed world because of vaccination but now that we as a community are seeing less and less people vaccinated we are going to start to see more and more of an infectious etiology for gamete failure so these things are not ovarian specific they can impact both you know testicular germ cells and ovarian cells so eggs and sperm but things like chickenpox or varicella mumps, tuberculosis, malaria, things that a lot of times we don't see, but certainly we're seeing an increase in mumps as people are not getting the MMR vaccine. We're seeing an increase in chickenpox as people are not being exposed to varicella or getting vaccinated for varicella. And these things can have secondary consequences. So just something to be aware of if you are presenting and potentially you were not vaccinated or you grew up in another country or had tuberculosis or some other more rare infectious disease in the modern world all right well i hope that helped you understand just a little bit about poi the number one thing i like to say is it was not your fault you didn't do this this is a consequence of the deck of cards you are dealt and our goal from here forward is to get good support what does that mean Your team now is multifactorial. You typically are going to have somebody replacing your hormones. You are going to have somebody who is helping talk you through, you know, psychological aspects. And then you're going to have a fertility doctor if we want to talk about getting pregnant at some time. You'll want to be screened to see most of these people are going to be screened differently for risk of osteoporosis. And you want to make sure you have a complete workup for other things that really are the etiology. What caused your POI? Is there something we can identify? All right, I'm going to jump to some of our questions for fertility's sake. FFS is our weekly segment where I answer some of your questions. You can ask questions on Instagram every Monday at Natalie Crawford MD, and I will answer some of those questions on Instagram. I will also answer some of them here on the podcast, and I will answer other questions on the weekly newsletter so again you can sign up for the weekly newsletter nataliegarvardmd.com slash newsletter and we do have those question episodes where you leave a voicemail and i answer your questions 657-229-3672 again the voicemail 657-229-3672 and without further ado i will answer some of your questions now Are antidepressants safe in pregnancy? I am really struggling with trying to get pregnant and being off of my antidepressant is harmful. I, one, always wanna know what antidepressant you're on, two, who is managing it. It should not be your fertility doctor. But for the vast majority of my patients, I am not taking them off of their antidepressants. There are, you know, a handful of things that we might say, hey, this is something that we should switch to something that is a little bit safer, with a top thing being that we see people who are on Zoloft and Celexa really most of the time with very few complications. The typical complications there are going to be potentially premature birth or maternal weight changes. There is one SSRI, which is Paxil or Paroxetine, which has been associated with an increased risk of a fetal heart defect. And so that one, we do like people to switch to something different in pregnancy. Now, SNRIs are another option, things like Symbalta or Effexor, and you will also see people maybe on welbutrin and some tcas or tricyclic antidepressants things like nortriptyline might be an option there Now, this is a combination because your mental health needs to be protected, but also you want to minimize risk to the baby. So we are worried about if you're taking antidepressants in the last trimester of pregnancy and then you quit, things like the baby having some withdrawal symptoms like being jittery or irritable or not feeding as well or having respiratory distress. But similarly, Discontinuing or tapering doses now, at the end of the pregnancy hasn't really been shown to help. And changing your treatment option might increase the chance of a relapse or of postpartum, depression, psychosis, anxiety, something really terrible. So, what we really want to do is have a talk with you and with your psychiatrist or whoever is prescribing about the safest option at the lowest dose that will control you and. I don't tend to think that infertility treatments are the time to come off of things, and so this might be something to really discuss where are you going to try to stop and when based on whatever your provider thinks, but I don't automatically pull all my patients off, and this has definitely changed over the past 10 years. All right, just had a baby via IVF. When can I do another embryo transfer? Hey, every fertility clinic is going to have their own thoughts on this one. Personally, I don't like to put an embryo inside your body until it's been one year, so... That way, I want your uterus to heal up. Each embryo deserves a fair chance. Probably the very soonest I've seen people do it is going to be six months after giving birth. Again, not my preference. And we're always going to want you to be finished breastfeeding. So I want you to enjoy that experience. If you love breastfeeding, I don't want you to have to cut that short in order to achieve this next goal. What's the best approach to IVF with low ovarian reserve? I'm 43 years old. IVF success is going to be dictated by how old you are and how many eggs you have. Being younger and more eggs is going to make it easier. If you're over age 40, it's going to be harder. If you have a low egg count, it's going to be harder. It doesn't mean that it is impossible, but you really need a team that you trust. You need somebody who's willing to cancel and modify your cycles. You need to understand the older you are, And the fewer eggs you have, your ovaries are going to be more stubborn. So they're not always as predictable. And then we also want to think about the fact that it will almost certainly take you multiple rounds of IVF. Meaning if only 10 to 15% of your eggs are genetically normal and not every egg fertilizes or makes it to an embryo, we need to get a really high number of eggs in order to find the 10% normal. Even once I find a normal one, I only am going to have a 65% chance of that turning into a baby. Excellent, not a hundred. So, chance per cycle for most people are going to be zero to one embryos per each cycle with these criteria: 43 and a low egg count, which is okay as long as you're prepared to say, "Hey, I'm going to get the four eggs from this month, and the five eggs from this month, and the three eggs from this month, and I'm going to keep on doing the process until I get what I need to get." That might cost you too much, and time, financial, emotional, or physical energy. It will always be more cost effective at this age to do donor egg or donor embryo. That doesn't mean it's the only option, but it will certainly be more cost effective. You might have insurance benefit. You might not. You might have endless funds. You might not. You might feel very strongly about one option. What I tell my patients is have an open mind. Let's explore all of them and see what really is fitting the ultimate goal the best for this circumstance also important to know that some clinics do have an age cutoff and they won't cycle anybody over age 42 that's not our cutoff our cutoff is 45 which is older but really it's a very nuanced and intense discussion at this age to make sure you really understand what you're up against do you max out on retrievals transfers I read there's a connection to cancer this is an interesting question so we know that cancer risk increases every time the ovarian tissue remodels or heals so in general, An ovulation is a remodeling event, so the more times you ovulate, the more option there is for the body to have to heal and then have some of those cell repair genes go haywire and cause cancer. This is why birth control pills immensely decrease the risk of ovarian cancer because you are not ovulating. This is why the more pregnancies you have the lower the risk of cancer because during those pregnancies you're not ovulating this is why the longer and the more that you breastfeed the lower the risk of cancer because during breastfeeding you're not ovulating so that ovulation is really tied to ovarian remodeling and yes after an retrieval there is ovarian remodeling to be clear this hasn't been clearly associated due to fear Most people have capped egg retrievals for egg donor patients who are making a lot of eggs and doing it over and over again, not to help them get pregnant, but for a different reason to be at risk potentially of cancer. And so cap the number of retrievals at six. Now that's for other reasons too, right? Because you need to diversify gametes in the country or in one region. And if one person donates 500 eggs, what is that going to do to us as a population? So there's ethical interest in some of this as well. Now, I don't at all counsel or restrict patients who have a low egg count going through multiple retrievals, right? Your body is naturally healing up every month when you're trying to get pregnant anyway. So it's not that different if I'm getting 8 eggs versus your ovary healing from 1, except I'm giving you a higher chance of pregnancy. Where we're really concerned here is the young patient, remote has many more ovulatory years purposely having these huge situations of ovarian remodeling over and over again, who also has a lot of ovulatory years left. So again, not proven, concern, and out of caution due to both ethical and potentially physiological mechanisms, that's why that retrieval number is capped at six for egg donors. It doesn't make any sense to me to cap it for somebody who's got really low ovarian reserve because it's a very different process. And this is for egg retrieval specifically, not for embryo transfers. And then what changes do you need to make when you're pregnant? I like this question, but when you get pregnant or when you're doing fertility treatments and you're pregnant until proven otherwise, I want you to be your healthiest version of yourself. Very little is all or nothing, but I want you to get sleep. I want you to exercise. If you're pregnant, really, those muscles is going to be so important. Progesterone is going to loosen your ligaments, your spine, so you're going to have to relearn how to move your body. But having a strong core and muscular base is going to help you. Having good cardiovascular health is going to decrease risk of complications later. I want you to eat lots of fruits and vegetables. Take your prenatal vitamin, probably top top, and then avoid exposure to toxins, cigarette smoking, marijuana, alcohol. Just take those out of your life. Take out secondhand smoke too, if you can. So, really, This is a crucial time for your baby. The genetic code has already been given by the two gamete sources. Your body, if you're carrying a baby, is now determining which genes are turned on and off, and this is called epigenetics. And we really believe that fetus is programmed while you're pregnant. This is why also if you have premature ovarian insufficiency, or if you're older, or for whatever reason you need to use an egg donor, now I see patients with this fear about... Connecting or bonding with the child. And the thing I want to say is one, I've never had any patient actually have trouble with this. Two, most everybody's always said, This is the child I was meant to have. It's just the journey I had to walk to get there. Three, for better or for worse, you get to give birth, be pregnant breastfeed all of that stuff but for your body your environment determines those genes that are turned on and off so even if the genetic code may not come from you that environment of which that baby is gestating is crucial and important and that should make you feel excited you're contributing in probably the most major way all right friends i hope this helped again i just thank you so much for being here you can ask your questions every monday on instagram at natalie crawford md sign up for the newsletter NatalieCrawfordMD.com slash newsletter. Follow along on the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD, and you can call and leave your questions for the voicemail episodes 657-229-3672. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new. And I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.